So how often have we heard the the headline this week, when will we reopen and what will it be like to reopen and what will be the same, what will be different when we reopen. So I want to talk about that today as we make our way through First Peter and um, I, I want to just um, service notice that uh, all of us probably have taken stock a little bit and we have Uh, talked about how things will be the same and maybe how things will be different. And we may have made promises to ourselves or to our spouses or families, our friends, about how things are going to be different now that we've stopped and restarted. Uh, It seems to me that part of human nature is to be optimistic about that, to intend to sort of remember the things we we got a hold of during the the pandemic forced halt um we we got a hold of those things and said but but let's not go back to the way we were and human nature being what it is i think we are quite prone to go back to doing things just the way that we used to i have a biblical uh, um basis to say that because there's a whole book in the old testament the book of judges and in the book of Judges, there is a cycle that I think is characteristic of human nature. Uh, the judges' stories, um, while it focuses on individual judges raised by God, um, it began story by story by Israel finding itself in trouble. Um, a nation was oppressing them, a nation was attacking them, whatever it was. And they cried out to God. And God heard their cry, um, and he delivered them by means of a judge, and they sort of promised, okay, we will never, never, never do that again, because we know that we got in trouble because we were sinful, therefore we've been judged, we've been punished, we have repented, you have sent us a judge, the judge has given us deliverance, and so we'll never, never, never go back to what we were doing before until the next time. And so cycle after cycle after cycle, uh, the, the Israelites, just like all human beings, had good intentions, but when push came to shove or when life reverted to normal, they were just prone to go back to doing things the way that they used to. So, so I wanna just really nudge us this morning Um, to ask ourselves questions about this stop-start kind of a a period of time that we've been in. And and I want to poke you um, in, in challenging you this way, that whatever has changed or should change, because you've been given the opportunity to reflect, um, maybe you've been forced to change, whatever it is that should carry on, be sure that you do carry it on. And I'm, I'm going to bring you to a passage in First Peter that I think should reinforce for us today um, this whole idea of there being a stop and a start. But whatever has been changing, should change, will change, uh, let's get a fix on those things. Uh, mark them down and then proceed from that point on. So First Peter chapter 4 Um, is a a passage in which Peter refers back 
to their struggling. They, as we've mentioned before, are uh, Israelite Jews. Um, I mean, they're Jewish Christians um, who've been sort of scattered by, by persecution, and they are throughout the regions of Asia Minor. And things are not good for them, and there's no prospect of things being any better in the near future. And so Peter's writing to them and saying, I know that you're going through this really, really hard time. So he gives them lots of instructions about how to live in hard times, in difficult times. Um, and, and he uses it both by way of encouragement, but also by way of instruction uh, to back to the life of Jesus and say, you understand, don't you, that Jesus also went through incredible trials, incredible suffering, um, and actually to be followers of his, we might well expect that we will have suffering in our lives as well. And so Peter kind of moors their current experience in the example of Christ. And here's what uh, we find in First Peter chapter 4. Um, Peter says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that, that is a bit of a complicated passage of scripture. And I, I want to, first of all, kind of unpack it a little bit for you. And then we'll, we'll eke out of this part of First Peter 4 uh, some lessons for ourselves. I, I, I want to give you, first of all, a little tutorial on translation. Um, a few weeks back, I, I uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek um, gave you my translation of a passage of Scripture, and, and there was at least one person who kind of queried that and said, really, do you get to just give your own translation? So I, I should defend myself a little bit before I go ahead and do it again today. Um, um, the New Testament was written in Greek, Probably the players in the New Testament um, largely spoke Aramaic, but everything that was written down was written down in Greek. And so we have um, copies, hundreds and thousands of copies of manuscripts of the Greek text of the New Testament. They were all gathered over three or four hundred years before they were kind of you know, established as, as the New Testament as we know it. So I, because I was a theology student, needed to study Greek. Um, I also needed to study Hebrew, but I didn't take that quite as seriously. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a different language, and the need to study Hebrew in the sort of the detail of, of Greek is not quite the same. So and one, one thing I remember is that my Greek professor, Professor Carlene, I can still remember him well and see him well, one time, or more than one time in class, 
he pointed at us all and he said, I promise you, in fact, I predict that one year from now, none of you will remember any Greek. And I remember, I think, folding my arms and saying to myself anyway, I'll show you. And I don't know if it, he probably knew what he was doing. He was just kind of egging us on because Greek is a beautiful language to study and learn. And um, for one thing, if you go to the doctor, if you know Greek and Latin, you probably know what your doctor is talking about. But when, when Professor Carlin, Paul Carlin was his name, said that, I said to myself, I'm going to prove him wrong. And honestly, t- to this day, Pretty much every week I study Greek. I begin every preparation of a sermon by studying Greek. Uh, and, and I love to do it. And, and it's, it's, I think it's very useful. And, and so I, I, I need you to know that I don't arbitrarily change the words. Um, and and if, if, it, you know, if, if, if I weren't careful enough, for quite a while I was a pastor in the, the Greek area of the Pape Danforth part of Toronto. And every time I would say the Greek says, I would all of a sudden notice as I looked around that there were a whole bunch of heads that were popping up and they were Greek speakers, so I couldn't get away with anything. And I didn't try to. So the, the way that the translations have made them their way to us is that we have what are pretty literal translations, like the King James Version, all the way to paraphrases like the message and everything in between. So when I want to, with an English Bible, get literally pretty much what was written in Greek in the first instance, I might go to a King James Version, although the King James Version, while it has its proponents, um, is not as well textually sourced as modern versions like the NASB. So I prefer the NASB as a pretty literal translation. And I love the message because I understand that Eugene Peterson has taken the Greek of the text, um, has tried to translate it in his mind and understanding, and also has wondered how you could paraphrase that if you were to say the same sort of thing in the the language of the day. So that's what gets us to the message and that great sort of um, assortment of English versions of the Bible that we have. So having said that, um, I'm going to go now to 1 Peter 4, and I'm going to mess with that. I'm going to change some of the words, but I promise you, and you can, you can take this to someone who really knows Greek um, and say, this is what our pastor said this means. Is that true? Um, and, and they can check me out. That's, that's quite all right. But, so I will sound as though I'm doing damage to some of these words, and, th- and I'm going to defend um, why I have and, and what the implications are. So the, the slide that you will be able to follow along now um, is the same passage of scripture, but I've, I've changed it up a little bit. So you, you will see, and it looks terrible. I've actually crossed out words, and it sort of feels like, oh my goodness, you shouldn't be crossing out words in the Bible. But I'm crossing them out because I think there's a better way to say what Peter was actually saying. And here's the way it, it, it kind of plays out. And, and I'll just explain myself a wee bit, and then we'll get to some lessons for ourselves. So Peter says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had, 
and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ. So when I go back to the original language that this was written in, um, the words physically for Christ aren't there. So even in this, now I've used the, the New Living translation, which is a wee bit of a paraphrase. And in the living, um, the three words physically for Christ don't exist. It might or it might not matter, but I just want to get kind of a clean translation through the passage. And so what it more literally says is, for if you have suffered in the flesh. So uh, Peter is talking a lot in his letter about the suffering of Christ, but not right here. And, and I think that's going to just give us a, a bit of a twist in our understanding of this passage. So what it would say then is, for if you have suffered in the flesh, you have finished with sin. The sense of that together is quite a bit different, and I'll, I'll come to that in a moment. Going on, you won't spend the, li- the rest of your lives for human desires rather than chasing your own human desires. It's, he, he uses a very generic term for, ju- for, for human. Um, oftentimes he'll use man, or Paul will use man, um, and it's zeroing in, but it's just, he's really just saying, um, if whatever he meant before is true, you won't be spending your lives for human desires. The whole chasing thing is is not particularly necessary. Uh, But he goes on, he says, instead of spending the rest of your lives for your human desires, you will do the will of God, or your desires will be for the will of God. You have, um, the NIR, the New Living Version, said you have had enough in the past, so I've taken out those words, because the passage actually says, you have passed enough time with, with something, and the New Living says you've passed enough time with the evil things that godless people enjoy. Um, in a moment, I'm going to flesh this out. Um, David Fitch, who's a favorite author of mine, and he's an Alliance seminary leader, seminary uh, teacher in, in Chicago, he has written a book called The Church of Us Versus Them. I think what we often do is we polarize. We, we you know, sort things to the poles, make two two things that are either this or that. And one of, one of the ways that that happens, and this is what I really want to talk with you about this morning, one of the ways is that we have us and them as categories of our Christianity, and they're well entrenched. So there are, there's us, and we are the ones that have God's favor. We are the ones that have believed the truth. We are, and those, those are fine. And there are them who do not everything that we do do, right? Um, when, when our children were small, I digress slightly here for a point, um, 
for some reason they got in their minds that teenagers did all the bad things in the world. And when we would be driving along, for example, and they would see something that had been done, or maybe they had see, they would see some people that were doing bad things or naughty things, uh, they would just sort of nod their heads and say, teenagers. And teenagers, for my children at that point, um, explained the world to the degree that we literally um, had signed affidavits from our kids before they turned teens, promising that they would be good teenagers. My older two kids, Alicia and Brendan, signed affidavits. We promised not to be bad teenagers. I don't know if they kept them or not. That's not the point. They had the world sorted into, oh, teenagers are just bad all the time. Sometimes we get that way. And without actually um, sort of picturing or imagining or seeing the people that we're referring to, there are the wicked, the bad people, and they're not us. So in this passage, um, and and I'm going to show you in a minute that the people that Peter is talking about are really quite bad people by their behavior um, but but what he's actually saying here is not you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people do it's it's very simply the word um, pe- people who don't believe in God uh, so it's not that they're godless um, there's another way to say that to, to be as pejorative as to say they're godless people but strictly um Peter's just saying, you've passed enough time sort of chasing after or um, just dwelling with the things that people do who don't believe in God. And then he goes on and says, the end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. When we pull out some of the very pejorative ways that um, this translation in particular describes these things, I think it, it all of a sudden helps me be a little easier on the godless people and to serve notice a little harder on us. Because when when Peter says, okay, as you do a stop-start, given the difficult times in which you're living, as you wonder how it's going to be from here on, um, he's going to say, you actually need to have a strategy about moving forward from here. And when he presents to us the things that are presented, um, we can't just sort of set them aside. Well, he's he's really only talking about those godless people who are wicked and sinful and all the rest. Us and them can be a little bit closer than we might have thought. So I'm wanting to be a little easier on the godless people and a little hard, harder 
on what we might call the righteous or the Christian people. And, and I'll show you why it is that that's important for me to do in this context. So um, when we then kind of clear out the words that I've, I've uh, struck through, here's the, the version that I come to, and then we're going to talk about w- what this has to do with us. Here's what it would come out to say. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you suffered in the flesh, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives for human desires, but to do the will of God. You have passed enough time with those things that people who don't believe in God do. Um, and, and then there's a little part where he, he says some of the things that they do. And we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, at the end of the passage we're working with, he says, the end of the world is coming, is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Let me just speak about what um, Peter means when he says, if you have suffered in the flesh, you have finished with sin. Because that's not immediately understandable, I think, right? Um, and it's, we've pulled it away from um, th- that that if we've suffered with Christ in the flesh, because that wasn't in the text. What does it mean to say, if you have suffered in the flesh, you have finished with sin? Um, I, I'm pretty sure that the sense there is to say, here, here is the reason you will have an opportunity for a stop start. Here is the reason you will have a pause Here's the reason we all should take a step back. Um, The physical conditions under which um, these Jewish Christians were living were very dark, were very hard. And a a lot of the the niceties, a lot of the, um, just the comforts of life had been taken away from them. And in many, many ways, I think that the sense of privation that we are feeling today was the the daily lot of these Asian minor Christians. So into that context, Peter says, if you have suffered in the flesh, you have finished with sin. What he means, I believe, is that when, when you have physical suffering or privation or um, want, whatever it is, all of a sudden things get stripped down. And so what he means, I believe, is that the, the, the opportunity for exploring sinfulness, um, maybe exploring excess or um, whatever, that's kind of over with because you're just basically living to survive. So the the suffering in the flesh can be an end to sin it's, it's because he goes on then and says you used to spend your whole lives 
um, being concerned with the things that people who have no notion of God are concerned with. Um, and, and then he goes on, we'll see in a moment, that he talks about the, the various um, desires that we have. Here he's saying, look, you're followers of Christ, and he's a great example to you, if you also, along with Christ, um, have gone through physical suffering, um, sin should be done for you. I mean, you sh- you should have stopped th- the wanton um, desire of of the flesh in its in its various forms. Um, he, he says, if you have suffered in the flesh, you finish with sin, and you won't spend the rest of your lives for human desires, but rather uh, to do the will of God. I'm not sure I can explain that very clearly, and I encourage you just to sort of think it through. Um, f- for me, it's it's at least a little clue that says, hmm, there's, a, there's sometimes a reason to stop doing the things we used to do or stop being the way we used to be. And Peter says, if you've been suffering in the flesh, which you have, um, you can actually be done with sin or you've been um you've been facing sin in a different way it doesn't come easily it doesn't um it, it doesn't come because of of your being idle or careless um because now you shouldn't be being idle or or careless you should be being being careful and getting set up for living a different kind of a way I'll try to make that a little bit clearer as we as we move on. So, um, I said I was going to be harder on us. So here I go. Um, a little easier on the godless people because the, it's it's not Peter's point to lambaste the godless people. His point is to say, you know what, um, we we're all tarred with the same brush, and what you might be sort of condemning others about could also be self-condemning and while you are in this pause of reflecting think these things through so right after he has talked about the fact that people have spent their lives chasing these desires um, and and has kind of lumped in the Christians and said that's what you used to do the words that he uses are these um, immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. And this is one of those Bible lists that has most of us sort of going, phew, okay, that's, uh, that's cool. I'm not like that. You know, it's, it's like the Ten Commandments. You go, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've not committed adultery. I don't steal. And you go, Phew, I'm all good. Until Jesus comes along, of course, and says, mm, it's not just whether you do it or don't, it's whether you think about it or don't. And then he gets all of us, really. But this list is a list that would describe um, what we understand historically to be pagan behavior. Um, and most of us would be able to get it out as a checklist and check off given our understanding of the historic setting 
check off all of the vices and say, well, at least we don't live that way. So when Peter says, um, stop pursuing these desires like the godless people do, and you used to and shouldn't, we'd say, it's okay. Yeah, they should be kind of called up on the carpet for that. So what were they? Immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. And when we get to the terrible worship of idols, we kind of go, tut, tut, those awful people, and we, we read about them a lot of times in the Bible, they worshiped idols, which makes no sense to us, because even like one of the psalmist says is, you know, they, they cut down wood that, that can't talk, that can't live, can't see, can't hear, and then they say these are God's nonsense. Well, if I were to take this list of things and and paraphrase them so that they, they might actually make us go, hmm, oh, okay, I hadn't thought of it that way. It, it might sound like this instead. It might be the moral and ethical relativity and we go, hmm, wait, wait a minute. They were guilty of immorality and lust. Yeah. And we're not? Well, we don't think of ourselves as immoral or lustful people. We don't use those words. Okay, so how about these words? Do we find that we are culpable in the areas of moral and ethical relativity where we we say it's it's never black and white it's never cut and dry you have your thoughts and i have mine you live your life i'll live my life it's not me um that has the right to judge you or judge your behavior so what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me and who knows anymore what's what's always right is it really such a thing as right and wrong all the time what about this situation or that situation and if that's the way that we were to read the passage um, and we're asking, is there a reason to have a stop-start? Well, is there a reason in our sort of philosophical living, uh, our lifestyles, in which we have become relativists in morality and ethics? What if we go a little bit farther and, and you know, don't characterize all of this as a drunken carousing on the part of pagans. But if we were to say, these are the things we used to spend our desires on or our 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 time on, our um, you know endeavors on, moral and ethical relativity, desire, um, what what do you want? What do you really, really, really want? And um, the song would give you the opportunity to say whatever I want, what I, whatever I really, really, really want, I should be able to have, and you can't tell me not to have. Um, it, it may sound like good times. And what's wrong with good times? You know, we put slogans all around on good times. But it, I, I just want to suggest that if we get a little harder on ourselves and a little softer on the godless, what for them may be feasting and drunkenness, we would just sort of write off or write up as good times and celebrations. 
that, that's what we exist for, right? Is is the the times to get together with friends. Um, Friday night after the work week's over and we're at the pub, we're having a good time. We're we're just celebrating. And then what? What finally, if we were to say instead of their terrible worship of idols, if we were to say um, life's goals and aspirations, because that's a modern version of idols. What are idols? Idols are what give animation or meaning to your life, and the 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 modern version of those things would be the the things that I aspire to, the goals that I have. And again, we'd say, whoa, I I didn't know that was going to get me in trouble. Well, it might. Um, If we're willing to be a little hard on ourselves and say, okay, somebody just blew a whistle. It's called a pandemic. And when the whistle blows, everything stops. And and so we have stopped and we're going to start again. Should we start the same way that we stopped or should things be different? And Peter says, exactly, that's an important question because you have been suffering in the flesh, in in your lives, in your experience. You've been having a hard time. Jesus had a hard time. Uh, That's an awfully um, soft way to say it. He went through incredible suffering through his passion and his death. Um, And if it was necessary for him, are you sure it wouldn't be necessary for you as well? And in the meantime, why don't you think about what it is that animates your life? Why don't you think about what um, directs your life and what desires drive you? And there are those godless people um, and their desires we would characterize as immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, and worship of idols. But for us, um, are some of the things that should be called into question moral and ethical relativity, the whole phenomenon of desire as as extolled in, in life and living, um, the good times and the celebrations of life that that can be warranted and valid and also can be examples of, of wastefulness and carelessness and irresponsibility and life's goals and aspirations. Why don't we stop and say, when we start again, will we have the same goals? Would we have the same aspirations? And that could be in so, so many areas. It could be personal goals and aspirations. It could be family goals and aspirations, societal goals and aspirations, global goals and aspirations. Uh, Should we go back to doing it the way we were, or maybe should things be different? Let me draw this together as um, three opportunities that I, I believe were given because of this stop start this pause and now the opportunity sometime soon to restart to reopen the end of the the passage that we're thinking about is these words the end of the world is coming soon right there i'd say 
whoa, is it? And I encourage you that um, in June, we're going to start a series called It's the End of the World as We Know It, question mark. And we're going to talk about the world as it is, as it was, and as, as it would be and will be. And what do we know about end times? Um, is it the end of the world now? Is it the end of the world as we know it now? Maybe. We'll get to that. But in the meantime, uh, Peter says, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Three things. First of all, I believe we're given an opportunity for reflection. Um, it's a time to stop before we start. It's a time to pause. And I think Peter piques our interest by talking about this matter of suffering and the end of sin, where he's saying if you're suffering in your flesh, um, maybe that privation in itself has stopped some of the excess of sin that you're drawn to, as it often manifests itself in, in the flesh, in the, the body's experience. So there's an opportunity to reflect. And Peter says, if you figure it out the right way, you won't spend the rest of your lives for human desires, but for the will of God. So he's saying, if, if you don't continue chasing the wrong things, but start chasing the right things, don't continue desiring the wrong things, but desire the right things, um, it, it won't be the human desires. The, the desires that are just human, the desires that are just like everybody's, and we didn't think they were so terrible until we had a chance to stop and ask, are they what really are important? Are they really what should be driving us? And Peter says, no, it's the will of God that should be driving you. There's a big question. It's to say, well, what is that? How do we know what that is? And we will be going to that as we get into the passages that uh, will come to be studied in June. The second thing is there's an opportunity for change. At, at the beginning of all of this, um, Peter says, since, and so on, um, arm yourselves. And, and that's a very strange expression. It, it's, it's um, they call it a hapax legomenon which means uh, it only happens once. So in the whole New Testament, this is the only time this Greek verb is used. It's a, it's a verb that means um, get your weaponry ready. It, it, it's a very strong word. So l let me remind you of, of where it is that Peter is using it. Um, Peter says, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. You must arm yourselves. You must choose the weaponry that he chose. And so what is the weaponry that Jesus chose? Um, there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about his suffering. Um, and that his suffering actually was was willingly submitted to the Father for the, for the greater purposes of, of the will of God. 
Uh, Philippians 2 is a lovely passage how that Jesus left everything that was his by prerogative in heaven and was willing to come and go down step by step by step on a staircase all the way down to death, even death on a cross. Um, Peter says, get your weapons ready. The weapons, um, just like the weapon that Christ used, which was submission and even accepting the, the suffering that will be your lot. The second thing is that we have the opportunity to change um, by choosing uh, ways that we will now direct our lives. So it's kind of going to the the other side of the list of things that Peter talks about the godless people doing and then we understand they actually could be true of us as well. And then we turn those around and say, instead what should we be doing? And the the third thing is that we have the opportunity for an opportunity um, for commitments. Uh, we reflect because we were given the reason to stop and pause. We can change, which is we can actually um, get get our weaponry ready to face the reopening of life, and then we have the opportunity for commitment and the two things that he specifically says um, that we can commit ourselves to um, is disciplined prayer and deep love. Disciplined prayer and deep love. So as all of this kind of unfolds in, in Peter's sorting the life setting of the, the Jewish believers in Asia Minor, we too um, are are facing life in a different way than we ever have before. We don't know to what degree life as it used to be will return. And there is good reason to wonder how it should return and um, what could be different and what should be the same. Um, Peter says the kind of stuff that has gone on in your lives should just give you a sober second thought kind of a a demeanor in life. Um, And he would say the same to us. And then we should think about how it is that we should be ready, how we should be retooling, being ready to take the same attitude that Jesus had, the the attitude that, that said, no, we don't have to have the things that, used to motivate us and used to be given, we would rather pursue the will of God. And maybe we have a a, a new demeanor in the way we live our lives um, that says, boy, we, we had all we could want before in many respects, and now we can't and maybe we shouldn't because maybe we should be arming ourselves Uh, getting the right kind of weaponry for living out the lives that are set before us as time goes on. As we think about the the two things that we can't commit ourselves to, along with pursuing the will of God against the will of of human inclinations, um, Peter says, praying for one another, um, 
we have talked about the examine prayer, the Lord's prayer. Um, the prayer of silence commends itself in times that are um, at least a little more conducive maybe to slowing down and finding solitude and, and silence. And and deep love. Um, in in some of the things that that happen to us in, in hard times, the just the basics come home to roost, don't they? The the things that are fundamental make more sense than they did in the hubbub of, of everyday life as it was. One of those is love. So Peter says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Here are the characteristics of love from 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I give them to you as, as we close off here, just as a way to ask, well, what does it look like to be this way in this setting not just in an academic study of 1 Corinthians 13 or a word study of 1 Corinthians 13 what does it mean in today's situation with people that I know that I'm close to and that I'm stuck with maybe to be whatever love is patient okay we can just stop right there right <laughs> love is kind not envious, not boastful, not proud, not rude, not selfish, not easily angered, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's a stop, start, time. As we reopen, how will we reopen? Remember the caution of the judges that while you said you've learned your lesson and you're never going to do that again, when things go back to normal, you went back to normal. You went back to old habits, old ways. So I encourage you not to do that. We're going to end by singing along with Bethany a song that reminds us um, about the cross of Christ and how going there and, and staying there um, is, is the way of pursuing the will of God and making sure that we are committed to the right desires and the right hopes and aspirations of our lives. God bless.